I truly believe that dogs are the bridge between nature and humanity. listening to the Believe in Dog podcast. I'm your host and resident dog mom, Erin Scott. Not only can a dog be your best friend, but I believe a dog can be a healer, a teacher, and an inspiration. I can't wait to share with you stories of how the love of a dog is changing our lives and changing the world. This is Believe in Dog. Welcome to episode 69 of the Believe in Dog podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Scott, and thank you so much for being here today. I gotta tell you, 2023, been a bit of a challenging year so far, especially for my podcast. So thank you for your patience as this episode took a little extra longer to get out than I had anticipated. I had a whole IT situation happening last week, and I got locked out of my audio editing programs, and I was having a meltdown, the computer was having a meltdown, it was a whole big thing. But the important part is that we're here today, and we are talking to the incredible Ruby Balaram, founder of Real Dog Box and the Feed Real Movement. And you are just going to love Ruby's story. One of the things, and I know I've talked about this before, but one of the things that I love about getting to talk to so many different people is when I realize that despite the fact that my life is intersecting with someone because of our love of dogs, we have other things about our lives in common too that we could have never expected. So you'll find out that like me, Ruby did not grow up with dogs in her house, And when you consider that she and her partner, Turk, now have an Anatolian Shepherd, which is, I don't know, like 120, 140 pound dog, like, that's a lot of dogs. She really went all in on this having a dog thing. And I really just love this idea that sometimes there's people like Ruby and I who are kind of reluctant uh, about bringing dogs into our lives. And then suddenly we do, and it changes everything. So we'll hear the story of how Ruby first heard about the idea of feeding fresh food to dogs and then went from being a paralegal in Washington, D.C. to living out in San Diego and becoming the CEO of Real Dog Box and the Feed Real Movement. And while I'm sure Ruby has shared this story at other times in other places, or even if you already know some of this story, I feel like we're really special because we're going to get the unedited version with sound effects. And if you're not familiar with what the Feed Real movement means, Ruby's going to share that story with us too. Now, before we get started, I just want to mention, if you've never tried Real Dog Box for your dog, I'm going to have a discount code for you in the show notes so you can save $10 off your first order. So now, let's get started. I am so incredibly excited for you to meet Ruby Balaram. So we are here today with Ruby Balaram. How are you, Ruby? I'm so, so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh my gosh, thank you for doing this. I'm so excited to talk to you. 
So I always love to start out by asking about your childhood experiences with pets because I did not grow up with any. (laughs) And I'm always curious what that looks like for everybody else. So what was your experience? It was probably very similar to yours. I didn't grow up with any either. Oh, wow. Well, that's not entirely true. There was three weeks when we lived in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where I had a cat that I was actually hiding from my dad. Uh, He was in the military at the time and traveling back and forth. And I really, really wanted a cat, despite the fact that I was allergic to one. (laughs) And my mom, I don't know where she saw a listing, but she got me a little kitty and we named her princess. She was all white and she had this black dot on top of her head. And when I went to school, she would just be following my mom around as kittens and puppies do. And that weekend, my dad came home. He would come every other weekend, uh, commuting back and forth from Pennsylvania to DC. And he came home. And as soon as he walked in the house, he sneezed. And he said, is there a cat in here or something? And my mom and I are just like dead silent. He didn't say anything the whole weekend. And then finally Sunday hit and he was like, you're going to have to find another place for that cat. So it was a solid three weeks that we had that little kitten, but I didn't grow up with dogs, which is something that a lot of people always find shocking when they hear about our origin story. I guess for us, my parents are from Asia, half Filipino, half Indian. And for them, dogs belonged outside. You know, they, they liked them. They were a part of the community, but not really a part of a family, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And, you know, I'd like to say that we had a very clean house growing up. We had a lot of our daily chores. And one of them for me was I had to sweep, I had to sweep the floor every single day. That's just what, what I was assigned to. And the thought, I think, for my parents of having some sort of fur or debris caused by an animal that should technically be outside was just, it wasn't happening. So I never grew up with one. And I never, even as an adult, because I didn't have that experience, I don't think I craved it as well. Like I didn't go out and try to find a dog. Even when my partner brought home Icon, our Anatolian shepherd, immediately I was like, it's going to be so much work. And we're trying to start this business. Like, I don't think it's a good idea. And I know what's going to happen. I'm the one that's going to end up taking care of him. And he's like, so? And it just didn't click for me because I didn't, I was taught to not want to take on that responsibility. Now, I can't imagine my life without him. My story is very similar. My parents were really not into it. My mom's kind of like a neat, clean freak. And my grandmother lived with us uh, growing up. In fact, she's still she's ninety eight years old. She still lives with my parents, and uh, and she was not into it at all. And she was like the one that watched us when my parents were at work, you know. So, yeah, mm-hmm. it was totally my husband's idea. We bought our house, and for the first time, we have a yard. He's not running some crappy apartment above a, you know, barbershop or something (laughs) like when I first met him. And so it was like, oh, I can actually have a dog. Like he had been dying to have a dog. And I'm like, oh, it's going to be so much work and they're going to be so dirty. And yeah, completely changed my life as you can tell. (laughs) Yep. Yep. (laughs) 
So where did you grow up? Did you guys move a lot being military family? We did. I was born in Los Angeles and we moved from California to New York, back to California, to Pennsylvania, to Washington, D.C. And then I spent most of my adolescence and early adult years in the Northern Virginia area, the DMV metropolitan area, very close to where you are. (laughs) And uh, at that time, my dad got out of the military because we were in high school and he was like, I just want you to stay in one place And I sure did. I ended up doing my undergrad and then my master's all in that area. Uh, But I did eventually move to Europe in my early 20s. And then after coming back to D.C., we eventually moved to San Diego to start Real Dog. And so tell us the story of how Real Dog Box all came about. I love this story. (laughs) I'll give you all the the good details that I normally leave (laughs) out. And sound effects. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I got you. Well, as you know, I didn't have a dog growing up. So it was never my dream to save all the dogs as it is for many people in our industry. But I did have a similar experience, which is that our dog got sick. And our dog, it was really my partner's dog who became ours. And it was, you know, we, we launched Real Dog in 2015. But the idea of it really happened a year or two before when we got news that his dog, who was named Atum, who was a lovely Doberman, had gotten cancer. And that was for the second time. The first time was testicular cancer. And the second time uh, was mast cell. It was kind of all over his body. And we got news that he probably would only have six months left to live. And because he was, I believe, 11 at the time, Really, for a Doberman, that was a really great lifespan for them. Um, At least that's what the vet told us. And instead of any sort of treatment, he recommended just sort of keeping him comfortable because he had some other issues, heart issues, joint issues, all of that. And, you know, we, we received the news very heartbroken because six months is just not a whole lot of time. And so you start doing a deep dive and down all the rabbit holes. And it's like, why, why did this happen? What can we do? There has to be another answer. And sure enough, we stumbled upon the idea of feeding raw food, a fresh food diet. And it was sort of a last ditch effort to nurse him back to health. And we decided to do that at the time Uh, Atum was in San Diego with my partner Turk's mom, and we were in Washington, D.C., you know, working our full-time federal government, high corporate job lives. And we were so we were busy, like too busy, really, to have a dog in the house. Um, But we had an opportunity to try a raw diet on him. And within 24, 36 hours at most, he was a new dog. Like he just went from this grumpy old thing, you know, who really wasn't walking well because of his hip dysplasia and really just cranky. You know, he didn't want to be around things anymore. Everything was was annoying him. So he went from this grumpy old dog to this puppy, like, you know, chasing after me. I was holding a chicken quarter and I remember he was just like running around the driveway Turk's mom was out of town. This is, of course, like we had to try it and we knew we were going to 
see some digestive upset. <laughs> and uh, we did it while she was out of town. But when she came back, she was like, what did you do? How did you do this? I haven't seen this dog run in months. And you could just see the change, just not in, you know, physically, but his energy, like his eyes, they were, there was just so much more life. And that for me was life changing because you can read all about these stories, but when you witness it, you know, before your own eyes, you just, there's just no other way to explain it. So we knew right away that there was something to this fresh food diet. And I think we've known that all along. Now it's more popular even for people. It's, it's, the, it's what keeps us talking about how to keep ourselves healthy and sleep well and all of that. But when we came back to DC, his mom was like, well, where did you get all this food? How did you do all this? I don't have time to do this. So we were looking for a company uh, that you know, had this. And, you know, when we talk about businesses, I don't know, um, all of the different guests that you have on here, some of them must be business owners. And I think timing is so important to when you're starting something, not just in the industry, but also like in your lives. Like, where are you in your personal life? Can you commit to starting something from scratch and building it up? And, I just remember we were thinking about how we were going to help her make all of this food. And one night, Turk's sitting on the couch and he takes a rip from his bong. He's like. (laughs) We should start a dog food subscription company. (laughs) And I just look at him and I'm like, okay. Um, And, you know, he had some experience doing it. He had actually started a fresh meal prep company for people just the year prior. And that food company was based on the paleo diet, which many of us raw feeders know as what we're feeding our dogs. There's no carbs, uh, no legumes, no processed food. It's just mostly based on fresh meat, some amounts of vegetables and maybe fruit. So he had some experience, not only with the diet, and he actually grew up feeding raw in Turkey. And somehow when he came to the U.S., he got lost. He just, you know, fell for all the deceptive marketing, as I like to call it, Um, you know, with the bags of kibble on on the grocery store shelf where there's like filet mignon, you know, medallions of beef. But you turn it over and that's not what's in the food. Not at all. You know, but it's what everybody's feeding. And so he started feeding kibble and it was a really a a turning moment, I think, for him to get go back to his roots, to just remember what he grew up with. And so anyway, he comes up with this idea of having a dog food subscription company. And I was at the time of my life where I really had reached a ceiling in what I was doing. We also have very similar um, backgrounds in terms of our day jobs Yes. And, and I was a paralegal, I was working at a big law firm, and then I went to a medium-sized firm, to a small-sized firm, and I was actually telling the story the other day. One day, we were walking to the metro, and Turk looked at me, and he said, don't you feel like a, a sheep? No. Why do you say that? Just do the same thing, follow the same crowds every single day. And sure enough, that's 
all I noticed that day. I was walking down, going down the escalator, saw the same lady I saw every morning, you know, opened up the same newspaper that I read every day on the train and guy playing drums on the stop that I get off of. And I just couldn't shake it. He was right. And I kept trying to make all these changes in my life, but there was something missing for me. It was just not as rewarding as it used to be. And so we came up with the idea. We, and we did our research. You know, it wasn't just like, hey, let's do this. We, right. <laughs> I went out to Australia and met uh, Tom Lonsdale, who we like to call one of the pioneers of the raw feeding movement. Uh, we spoke with the head of nutrition at the National Zoo. And we asked them what they recommended for not just the canids, but the felines in the zoo and how their, their digestive systems differed, if any, from our domesticated dogs. And, you know, we, we figured out that there was really an opportunity there. And that's how we started. We faced all these challenges. You know, we're almost eight years in. This will be our eighth year. It's amazing. Um, yeah. <laughs> I could tell you all of those. I mean, we, we would spend a lifetime on this podcast. So what made you initially start with doing like the treats and chews? We, we had to make that move because at the time, you know, we talk about timing. I don't think the market was quite ready for a subscription to raw dog food. I, I want to say there was one or two already existing, but entering as a new business was going to be really challenging. I mean, you, our, our concept was we would make different recipes and ship them to you once or twice a week. And that way you would never have to think about what you're feeding, um, you know, how to incorporate variety. We would use our own different raw feeding models and send those to you. So we had our recipes. That was great. Uh, we had a three-month runway. We found this little kitchen in Escondido, which is in North County, San Diego, that we wanted to, that we rented out. And we basically had three months to make a profit or at least start being able to pay our bills. And so we had a three-month runway and we put the meals together. We got all of our packaging. The cost of shipping frozen product is insane. It's just, I mean all of the materials that go in and then the weight of it because it requires additional packing materials. Like it was just so expensive for us to come out with a product for a 10 pound Yorkie. You know, it was going to be so hard to enter the market. So we took the ingredients of our raw meals and we decided we would dry each of those and put them into a box. And that's how we came up with our flagship product, which is our treat and chew box. It's essentially all the ingredients that would go into a raw meal, but more convenient, lighter weight because it's not frozen, and also a lot more familiar to the masses of dog owners. You know, we're still a very small community of raw feeders. I want to say we're five, maybe six percent uh, of dog owners in America. I think that number is bigger outside of the U.S., but, you know, at that time, we just knew that we had to come up with something that was going to be a little bit easier to digest, if you will. <laughs> so where do you even start to find, like, to source things from? Like, I would have no idea how you even start to find beef kidneys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, we started just like anyone would at our local grocery store. And then we went to butchers and we were 
trying to figure out if we could take the waste, for lack of a better word, from a grocery store of of food that either wasn't being sold um, because they were body parts that weren't as appealing as others. Uh, But you can't do that, it turns out. And so we're like, okay, well, where do you get your meat? And we went from the grocery store to meat distributors and then from distributors to some slaughterhouses. And that started opening a lot of other doors for us. But, you know, our concept of treat and choose is to have variety in every box. And that helps us in a way from the sourcing standpoint, because we start with the nutritional benefits of the food and then it goes through, okay, what kind of proteins can we uh, include? Can we include more than three in this box? And then it goes into the cost, right? How can we make sure that we can keep this box affordable for everyone that gets it every month? So it's, it's, it's a lot of different factors, but we knew that at least the meat production uh, in the West Coast primarily happened in California. So we knew that we were going to be able to find it. It was just a matter of tracking it down. And now we have other suppliers that are uh, in other parts of the country. I, I really try to support some of the smaller vendors, the smaller farms and ranchers. Um, and that's what you'll often find in our secret shop. But for the rest of the products in our boxes, it's How can we provide nutritional variety to our dogs? That's number one. Number two, how can we make sure that that box remains affordable to everyone that's getting it? So to somebody who's really new to this concept of fresh feeding or raw feeding, you know, somebody who's like, I just buy what's at the vet office or what my vet tells me to eat, you know, I'm embarrassed personally when I look back and when we very first got our dog, like I just bought food at the grocery store. And then, you know, we thought we were like doing a little better when we moved on up to like the $50 bags, you know, of kibble. (laughs) And, uh, and so when I hit, when I first learned about this concept, I mean, it blew my mind. And, and I was also just on a personal level, just sort of starting to, you know, I was around the time I was turning 30, I was starting to like, you know, have some like health blips And, you know, like my weight was creeping up and it was the first time I ever had to sit and examine like, well, what am I eating? And, you know, understanding about the processed food and ultra processed food and kind of making that connection of, oh, kibble's just ultra processed food for dogs. And it's not Mm -hmm. good for us to eat ultra processed food, but yet that's what we're all feeding our dogs. Like, you know, and and it, it was kind of this interesting, like path that I was on with myself and the dogs and it was all like very interconnected. And, and so for somebody who might be just hearing about this for the first time, can you explain to them like kind of what you learned that really made you realize, oh, this is the way that I need to go with fresh feeding? Sure, sure. And I think you hit the nail on the head. For most of us, we make comparisons to our own health. And it's unfortunate that a lot of times it's because we're dealing with some sort of health issue and we're like, "Uh oh, how do I go back and fix this? And so the way that I look at it for our dogs, because they have a much shorter lifespan than we do, is we're feeding fresh food because it is the most biologically appropriate food for them. And it's going to prevent illness. And once you sort of wrap your head around prevention and wellness, holistic wellness, I think it becomes a lot easier to accept that 
fresh food is not conducive to mass production. And the food that's on our shelves, that's shelf stable and has you know, preservatives and other additives and flavors in there, that's all mass produced. And we just have to take a step back from that if we're going to be able to invest in our wellness and longevity. When I first started feeding raw, it, there were just blogs and Facebook groups. And for years before we created our course, that's where I would send people. I was like, join all of the raw feeding groups and take all the information that you can, because that's how I learned. And, you know, I would have a handful of blogs. Kimberly Gautier, her Keep the Tail Wagging blog was one of the first ones that I heavily relied on almost a decade ago. And that's where I started. Now there's even more information out there, which can be a good and bad thing. I think it's still very overwhelming because just like human food, there are different cuisines. There are different diets that someone might be doing keto or paleo or Atkins. I mean, there's there's just so many and you have to find what not just works for you and your dog, but also what your food values are. And that deserves some introspection and time and research. But um, I think to start off is if you can sort of accept that fresh food for all species is going to prevent illness and increase longevity, then with that, you can start making the right decisions towards what you're feeding yourself and what you're feeding your dog. Yeah, that's something, you know, my husband and I have talked about a lot. It's funny you mentioned keto because uh, we actually did six months of like a really strict keto diet uh, last year and my husband lost 30 pounds. He totally changed all his like cholesterol and everything around. I was not quite as strict, but I still dropped like 15 pounds. I did not have a cholesterol problem, but you know. (laughs) You know, and I would say before that we ate... uh, fairly good but you know he likes a lot of pasta and stuff so we've we've always been very conscious well always for the last 10 years I'd say been very conscious about where we're getting our food from and you know getting things organic we get our meats from local farms you know we're really fortunate we live in a county that is known for agriculture and we have farms that you can just go to and meet animals see how they're being treated and cared for and you know and get really high quality cuts of meat and stuff but at the same time you know we're still eating pasta and things like that so we had to have this conversation where it's like okay yeah it's really easy to come home at night and make boil some pasta and throw something together but that's not what's good for our health and so we're gonna have to be a little more intentional about Uh, meal planning, you know, doing something big in the instant pot over the weekend that we can then heat up for dinner a couple nights or, you know, we had to trade like the convenience for the health factor. And I have been, I had made that decision a long time ago with my animals, you know, like it's much easier and cheaper to buy some kibble at the grocery store and throw some in a bowl. But is that really what's best for my pets? And, and, you know, and like, you have to kind of have that conversation with, with yourself and make that Mm -hmm. decision and be really intentional about it. I think. Yeah. Just like 
anything, any life-changing thing, it, it involves some planning and preparation and deep thought about whether it's something you can commit to. And that's the same way I see how we feed and care for our dogs. It's, can you commit to this? It's, it's a lifestyle. It's not just one part of your day. It's not like, oh, I open the refrigerator or the pantry and I'm just, it's feeding time. You have to consciously go out and source some of your food. You know, sometimes shopping for yourself involves shopping for your dog's food as well. And it just becomes part of who you are and what you do. Now, what I will say about Real Dog Box is that even if you are somebody who's feeding kibble, you can still feed Real Dog Box and make it an easy way to throw something different into their bowl. Definitely. You know, give that variety, that healthy variety. Like those, these things are not mutually exclusive. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not a person that really believe so much that in things happen for a reason. But the challenge that we ran into early on in where in which sending raw food out was going to be cost prohibitive to the masses and forced us to pivot and start doing treats and chews was so beneficial because we pioneered a new category of feeding fresh food. We became the stepping stone between dry food and raw food. And how do you sort of start introducing real pieces of meat into your kibble and then move towards a fresher bowl? That's what we ended up pivoting to almost unknowingly at the time. But we just built on that because it allowed us to widen the audience that we were reaching and really start educating them. And, you know, my fresh food journey has it continues. It never stopped. I'm still learning and trying to share that information. And now we have just a wonderful community to share that with. So I noticed over the last couple of years, you're even like expanding your mission, your vision, your company beyond Real Dog Box and into this whole Feed Real movement. So how did this all come about? Well, it really was people coming to ask questions about our bowls. I was sharing on social media what my dog's bowl looked like, and I would feed Icon um, what I refer to now as the real ancestral diet, all the components that I, from my research, understand should be included nutritionally to meet our dog's nutritional needs. That would be a, a raw food bowl, and sometimes it's a whole prey rabbit, but sometimes it's you know different cuts of meats and organs and bones thrown into a bowl. And even though between meals, he would get real dog treats and chews, people would be like, well, what's in the bowl? And how did you learn how to do that? But Real Dog Box wasn't really the place to share that information. And that's how we started the Feed Real movement. We're like, let's just put anything that has to do with raw feeding on this account. And all of our educational research on nutrition would also live there. And that evolved into the Feed Real Institute because we realized now we can teach it. We have all these years of research and personal experience in helping people transition from dry food to fresh food. Now we can share it and we can answer the questions that we couldn't 10 years ago. You know, every dog's different. And so you might have uh, an experience that 
I haven't with my 140 pound Anatolian shepherd, but now I've helped a lot of other people who have potentially run into some of the same challenges you had. And now we can answer those questions. So it has evolved into something just so amazing because one part of our business is offering products and services. And then the other part is educational courses and nutrition workshops. And you have actually just gotten a bit of a promotion. Is that right? (laughs) I don't know if I would call it quite that. Um, Yes, I have assumed the role officially of CEO. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Um, It's, it's huge for me. And I think for a lot of other small businesses, there's a shift from founder to CEO. It's not quite the same. And you really don't have the need for that role until you reach a certain size of your business team. And that's where we are. I wanted to take a larger role in how we were influencing the dog community and even people outside of it. I I truly believe that dogs are the bridge between nature and humanity. And especially in the last few years, I think we have gone through many life-changing events that help us realize that being close to nature is not such a bad thing. And even for me, you know, I've, I've always been a city girl. I'm finding that I find more peace and the ability to reflect when I'm outside or when I'm being like more dog, like more present and just, you know, enjoying what to being in the moment. And so um, now that I've taken on this new role, I'm like, there's so much more that we have to offer than just food. And I want to be at the forefront of sharing that with everyone. Yeah, I, I really do feel like I have to thank my dogs for teaching me things about living in the moment. And I used to have a ton of anxiety and, and things like that, especially going back 20 years to when we first brought the dogs in to our lives and and kind of having that model of like just stopping sitting and enjoying the sunshine in the backyard you know uh those things have been really impactful in shaping my life and who I am now versus who I was 20 years ago yep absolutely that's one of my favorite things to do when it gets a little bit warmer I'll I'll enjoy my morning cup of tea outside (laughs) (laughs) I'd imagine it's usually much warmer there than it is here this time of year. <laughs> it is, but it, it does get kind of chilly. And we've been seeing a lot of rain here in Southern California, which I'm not complaining about. Um, it's really great. We need it. But, you know, we did move to sunny San Diego for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us about the nutrition courses that you're launching through Feed Real. Yes. Oh my goodness. It's, it's been so exciting. In December of last year, we launched our nutrition course for dog parents, which is a course intended to show people the why and the how to feed real food. I think, like I said, when, when I started almost 10 years ago, reading a lot of blogs and information on the internet can be helpful, but so, so overwhelming. And we wanted to just put it all in one place. And we've received such amazing feedback on that course. It really is 
uh, designed to still allow you to to choose your own path. You know, there's a lot of different ways to feed real food, not just one. But we focus on helping dog parents understand what their dog's nutritional requirements are, how they differ from ours in so many ways, yet are we are both supposed to be eating fresh, real food and how we can help you incorporate that into your lifestyle. You know, we've taken a lot of our team has taken so many courses on dog nutrition, but they were very academic, which is fine for me. You know, I'm, I'm a nerd and I love reading and learning, but there was never any real practical instructions afterwards. It's like, I read this, I took the test, but now what? How do I actually start feeding real food? And that is what I think really sets that course apart from all of the other ones that are currently out there. Next month, we are releasing a nutrition course for veterinary professionals. All right. Yes, it's a little bit more in depth, but it was designed for veterinarians to to get on board. You know, it's inevitable. Their clients are going to do it anyway. And I think I heard a podcast that you did where you talked about how to talk to your veterinarian because that's a challenge that a lot of people face when they're like, hey, listen, I want to feed real food. Can you help me? And they either are chastised because they're going against the grain or the vet doesn't know how to support them in their fresh food journey. So how can we educate them beyond, you know, just what they're seeing on these different vet blogs? Because that's now what it sort of graduated to. And that's why we created the professional course. And I'm so excited because uh, we are, as of today, one step closer to getting it race certified so that veterinary professionals can get continuing education credits from taking our course. Oh, that's wonderful. That's like a huge incentive because it's not just, oh, they should do it for their own curiosity, but it will satisfy their requirements that they need yes. to continue being a vet. And that, that's a much bigger motivating factor, I'd imagine, at times. <laughs> yep, yep. And for anyone that needs to maintain their license, you know, vet technicians as well. And I think it just will, the course mirrors the same concepts that the dog parents are learning. So at least they understand what it is that they're sort of finding challenging and can support them. And And I think there has been so much animosity between some of the conventional veterinarians and the more holistic ones. And there just, there doesn't have to be if we can put some knowledge forward that's well-researched and cited because science trumps everything. It just does. And, you know, that's what a lot of the existing courses and information out there didn't have. And it's like, this is baloney. I don't believe you. And now we have an opportunity to change that. Yes. And so I had the opportunity to chat with Kay, who works for you also, and hear about her experience and her research and how, you know, so I mean, this is not just your opinion on something that or your interpretation of something. This is backed by research and science, which I love. I mean, <laughs> you know, I, I get into to reading all that kind of stuff. Kay has such an amazing story because she spent so much of her career 
as a registered uh, veterinary technician, not thinking about fresh food and just sort of like you and me, when we started questioning it for ourselves, all of a sudden it was like, wait, what? (laughs) What have I been doing this whole time? Uh, But she's amazing. And she really has um, been spearheading so much of our research and efforts, especially with her connections to Notre Dame and, and, you know, other people in the profession that are, are open and willing to learn. So have you had the opportunity to get this in front of veterinarians, conventional type veterinarians yet? And how is it being received? Yes, it has been, for the most part, very, very positive. Uh, Over the last year, we've attended the AHVMA, so that's the Holistic Veterinary Conference. We've also gone to a few conventional vet conferences. And last week, we were at the APVMA, which is the pre-vet conference of students who are looking to become veterinarians, go to vet school. And like I said, for the most part, it's been very, very positive. Uh, There are, among the conventional veterinarians, two primary concerns that we have run into specific to raw feeding, which is uh, nutritional imbalances and bacteria. The bacteria argument, I will, I'm willing to die on the hill for that one. And it's going to keep coming up uh, in, in our industry over and over, I'm sure, for the next few years. But you know, safe food handling, wash your hands. That's, that's all you got to do. And, you know, bacteria can be anywhere. It is everywhere. And that's the best way to keep yourself and your family safe. Um, As to the first concern about nutritional imbalances, we speak with a lot of vets who say, you know, my clients are home cooking and what they're cooking is chicken and rice. And that is a valid concern. That is not nutritionally complete or balanced, and I can understand why they would want to steer someone in the complete opposite direction, which is don't do it yourself, just feed what's in this bag, because this is everything that your dog needs. And what we have been saying is, but do you think your clients are going to feed fresh food anyway? And they say, yeah. And so we say, well, let's help them do it right. You know, you can say, take this course, uh, take this workshop and learn how to include all of the necessary components in your dog's bowl. And at least you'll be one step ahead of chicken and rice. And I think for the most part, they understand that it's inevitable. And so they have to either get ahead of it or at least be aware of what a lot of their clients are going to do so that they can support them. I like to think about the bacteria one also just from like my own personal experience, you know, uh, about five years ago, I was diagnosed with breast cancer and I went through chemo. And so, you know, you're immunocompromised during chemo and I still fed raw the whole time and I was the one feeding it and I just handled everything the same way I normally would, which is, you know, washing my hands and not like rolling around in raw meat or anything. And, and I never had any, you know, problems or anything. And it never even occurred to me that it would be a problem until, I don't know, at some point I was almost done 
the chemo. And I don't know, I think I was talking to my vet about the dogs, you know, because they got to know you, you know, or I'm sorry, my doctor, not my vet, my doctor <laughs> um, about the dogs. And, you know, and I, I think it came up in some kind of context and they're like, what are you? Oh, you should be wearing gloves. You should. And I'm like, all right, I've been doing this for three months and haven't had any problem because it never even occurred to me that it could be a problem. Sure. And it was not a problem, you know, <laughs> so yeah. that's just like something that always stands out to me. No, for sure. And I think dogs are equipped to handle that bacteria. And the worry is certainly for any humans who might be immunocompromised. That said, you know, there's there are so many things happening right now in our industry, but no one's talking about why salmonella or E. coli or listeria is in the food chain at all. And a lot of that just has to do with the health of the animals that we are raising for human consumption. Uh, and, you know, once I start going down that path, of course, the vets are like, all right, this lady's crazy. I'm moving on to the next table. So I try to keep that part to myself. Um, but I think, I think if we sort of see the bigger picture, which is, you could say that there's, not you could say, there's E. coli and listeria found in our lettuce all yes. the time. And I think, it, I want to say it's more frequent in fruits and vegetables than it, we tend to see it in meat because our meat is cooked. Uh, but it's happening and it's all around us. And no one's asking the question about why do these animals have it? Why are they getting sick? I mean, salmonella itself is a recurring bacteria in most mammals, but not, it's not always a pathogenic strain of that bacteria. And that just means that those animals are sick and they're probably sick because they're not raised in the best conditions. And I think that's the, that's the real concern. Those are the real questions that we should be asking when it comes to whether or not feeding the, those foods are appropriate for our cats and dogs. I agree. And also if people are looking at the amount of recalls in the dry kibble community, I mean, it's millions and millions of millions of pounds every year that are recalled for salmonella contamination and other types of contamination versus the minuscule amounts <laughs> that are affected in, you know, raw feeding. And there's data about that. Right. And and the kibbles, it's cooked. So theoretically, if there were safe handling practices, then it shouldn't be found in that food either. But, you know, again, it's it's not something that's really affecting our dogs. It's more a concern of the human food supply chain. And, you know, we got to take it one step at a time. I, I'm, I'm so on board with where you're going with that. <laughs> <laughs> so we have to talk about the secret shop. <laughs> Don't yell at me. Someone brought me on their <laughs> podcast last time and they yelled at me about it. <laughs> well, you know, my co-host Kimberly Gautier, who I do the alternative dog moms with, we've, we like kind of need to have a bit of an intervention with her in the secret shop. <laughs> she actually had to like put herself on like a moratorium that she was not allowed to order from it for a month because she's so, so stocked up. But can you tell all of us who might be new to that, uh, which by the way, I have to tell you a funny story. So about two months ago, I'm sitting at work. It's like 3 p.m. on a Friday. I leave work at four on Fridays. I get this text message like in one hour, the secret shop goes live and there's something that I wanted. And so 
my boss comes in and it's about like 3:45, and he's like oh you know i'm shutting down for the day you know go ahead and head out and uh and i'm like oh okay and then he must like gone and done something and it's like 15 minutes later and he's like oh i thought you were leaving and i'm like i got a secret job <laughs> and so i'm like literally sitting at my desk like ready to jump on <laughs> And he's like, you got a what? And I'm like, I can't talk. Got a secret shop. <laughs> and so I had to stay at work until I made my secret shop order. <laughs> no way. Oh, my gosh. I've heard so many funny stories like that. Okay, so the secret shop was born out of our need to be a zero waste facility. When we started, we had a little bit of like, crumbs left over from from our dried food. Um, We would have, you know, certain things that didn't quite fit our bags. They were too big or too small, too skinny, whatever. And I just couldn't stomach throwing them away. Of course, we would share them with our dogs, our team's dogs, but it just got to a point where it was it was too much. And because I couldn't stomach throwing it away, I wanted to figure out how we could offer it to our subscribers at an affordable price because it's still food. You know, it's they're not perfect pieces. I kind of think of it as like the imperfect produce, I think mm-hmm. it's called. But our dogs don't care what it looks like. You know, they don't care if it's not a perfect circular shape. And you could still feed it as part of your dog's meal. So with Turk, my co-founder, I asked him to build a site that would only be accessible by our members. And we ended up calling it a secret shop because no one knew where to find it. You had to get the link or the email from us in order to shop it. And so it started off with all of these extras that we had, you know, different bits and pieces. And then I would be able to find a small supply of small batch food, let's say ostrich uh, tendons or um, what's another thing, frog legs, like different things like that, that we couldn't source enough of it to put in our boxes, but we could get a small amount to put in our secret shop. And so you'll find a lot of bits and pieces, supplements, but also one-offs of products that you can't really get anywhere else. I think our biggest sellers are the whole prey chicks and quail and then we've got other items like like the frog legs, uh, calamari, um, seafood. That is one of our most requested items in the secret shop. I think we have some sardines dropping next week. And um, yeah, no, it's just been really, really fun to to have that thing that we share with our members that really nobody else can access. And every now and then I'm like, should I open this up to the masses? And I said this once to Kimberly. And she was like, you better not. I already have a hard time buying what I want to buy in the first minute. Uh, But we try to restock it, you know, a couple times a week. And like you, you get this text message that says when we're going to open it up. And it's just been really, really fun to have it. Yeah. I mean, you got to sit there and jump on like right that minute because people like Kimberly will buy like the whole stock of whatever it is. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we put we put some things in place that you can only buy a certain amount in one transaction. And then you have to go back and purchase again. So other people have a chance. But those were things that I never imagined we would have to do. We're just (laughs) like, oh, let's just put it there and make it available. And whenever people want to get it, they can. But it's a fun thing. 
does it always sell out really quickly does like everything just always sell out it it for the most part yes there um it, it just depends i think on certain items like if your dog has a protein restriction and all you can feed is rabbit for example at that time if we've got rabbit in it you're like i'm getting as much rabbit as i possibly can so we'll have some people do that and then for the novel items like we we dropped um carnivore eggs so they're little plastic eggs with meat inside them and ones that you can hide out in your lawn those are things that we only have once a year and so those tend to sell, sell out really quickly also but yeah, I mean, it, the point isn't for it to sell out. It just kind of happens that way because we only pack as much as we have on hand. Oh, I think it's brilliant. And, and I love the <laughs> opportunity to, you know, even get even more fun things for the dogs, even though you probably know I'm a little, a little sensitive, <laughs> a little squeamish when it comes to ordering some of the things. And, and I just have to laugh when I see some of these things. I'm like, She's like a serial killer with all these parts. <laughs> I, know. I know. I joke all the time. I tell everyone that I'm a, a, a meat hustler and they're like, <laughs> I don't even know what that means. <laughs> I'm like, shop the secret shop. You'll get it. <laughs> Is there anything at all that grosses you out or that you won't feed? I'm not. So people have asked us for rodents. Um, we have a lot of members that share their homes with their feline friends and they'll share their boxes with them as well. And while I think rodents are fit for cats, I don't feel comfortable putting them in our boxes. It's just, I mean, we have a food facility, as you might imagine, especially with all of this rain, all of the food facilities are battling some of the outdoor critters that are looking for shelter. And I just like, I'm like, where did, where would that mouse or guinea pig come from? Like, it just, it doesn't feel right. So it's not so much that it gross, it does gross me out. I won't lie. <laughs> Those are things that I'm just like, no, like even we found some in our backyard and I'm not the one to pick them up. I'm like, yeah, handle that. <laughs> I'm, I'm very funny about that stuff, but I, I do want my dogs to be healthy, but there's some things that Tim's got to touch when they come to us in the mail. <laughs> Is it the rabbit or the duck? It was the duck heads that I'm like, I'm not touching that. Because <laughs> we get ducks that like hang out in our backyard sometimes. Like we call them our duck buddies. Like I, uh, I couldn't. <laughs> yeah, I get it. No, and I think that's just really a product of our culture here in America, like our society. But, you know, I was chatting with my mom. She grew up in the Philippines where you would like, have your chickens in the front yard and you would choose the one that you guys were having for dinner, which is, it's just so different. I can't say it's good or bad in, in, in any way. It's just different because you're much more connected to where your food is coming from. And I think much more appreciative of using all of the body parts because you don't want to waste any of that life. You want it to go to good use. And when I think about that, I'm like, okay, that's why. That's why we have the duck heads, because we're using the rest of the body for our own consumption. It's true. We are very disconnected as a society from where our food actually comes from. Yeah. And, I, and I'm aware of that. And I'm aware of my own disconnected 
this. And, and when I do, and I make efforts in my own way, but I'll, I'll still get a little squeamish, I'll admit. Yeah, yeah. No, I hear you. <laughs> so what's next? What's, what, are, what do we have next to be excited about with Real Dog Box? Seems like you've had a lot oh, more. Yes. Yeah, well, we are releasing this month our ground organ mix meal topper which is a 50-50 mix of liver and another secreting organ. And if you're listening to this in a raw feeder, you know exactly what that is and why it can often be difficult to find and handle. And that was available in our secret shop originally. Um, same sort of thing. We had this leftover and I'm a raw feeder. So I'm like, how, would, how could I use this? And it went from a very popular product in the secret shop to now an official offering as an add-on to our boxes. Oh, I'm going to do that. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, organs are hard. They're just not that easy. Um, and all of the, so it comes with grass-fed beef liver and then another secreting organ. And that was another change that we recently made. All of the beef liver in-house is grass-fed. I can't say that about all of our proteins because, again, it would be cost prohibitive to use that quality of meat in everything that we do. Uh, but it was very important for me to make that uh, grass fed for our organ mix. Um, yeah, so that's that's happening this month. Our pro course is coming out. Uh, we are so, so close to get that race certification for a continuing education requirement. So that's going to be hopefully coming very, very soon and allow us to have veterinarians and vet professionals take this course in the hopes that they become a little bit more informed and supportive of our fresh food journey together. That's huge. I'm so excited for you guys. <laughs> me too. Me too. Well, I'll make sure that we have links in the show notes. So everybody can find the real dog box. You can get a subscription starting at just $10 a month. And, uh, and it doesn't matter what you're feeding it. You know, there's something for everybody there. And then we'll also have links to the Feed Real movement and the membership and everything that you get access to. And I'm so excited about everything that you're doing, Ruby. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me, Erin. Can't wait to see you soon in yes. Albany. Yes, as Ruby mentioned, I'll be attending the Healthy Dog Expo in Albany, New York next week on May 20th and 21st. I'm so excited. I went last year and had an amazing time. And you'll be hearing all of the details about the conference over on my other podcast, The Alternative Dog Moms. So if you're going to be at the conference in Albany next week, shoot me a DM on Instagram and let me know. I know my husband always jokes that I'm such a dog health nerd. And you know what? I really kind of am. <laughs> but I think so many of us, when we've lost dogs to cancer, like my first two old gals, Lucy and Kalua, and Penny struggled with allergies and mystery illnesses all the way up into whatever mystery illness caused her to pass away. And at the end of the day, we all just want our dogs to live a long, healthy life with us. And I'm a huge proponent that diet is a huge part of keeping our dogs as healthy as possible for as long as possible. 
And I feel fortunate that I'm able to feed my guy Nino as well as we do. And I understand that not everybody's in the position to feed the same diet that I do. But that's why I think it's so unique and important what Ruby and Real Dog Box are doing is making it easy and affordable to rotate fresh real foods into your dog's diet. So even if you're feeding a dry food, I know some people get offended at the word kibble, but if you're feeding a dry food to your dog, you can still add simple, easy things into the bowl. And Real Dog Box makes it super easy for you to do this and add nutrient-dense foods. Every month they send you different proteins And one of the things that I love to do, one of the small things that bring me so much joy and gratitude in my life is to watch my dogs eat. And right now that's Nino. And I love watching his eyes pop out of his head when he has new things to try in the bowl and he's munching and he's making a mess. And I just love it. It just brings me so much joy to see how much joy they have from eating and trying all these different new foods. And I think variety is important, not just for our dogs, but for us too. And I love, love, love that Ruby's team is branching out with these courses and especially with these courses for the veterinarians, because Again, I think there's so much misinformation, confusing information that's out there, and they have just done all the research, and I am such a nerd for the research. And when you can show that just like for humans, fresh foods are healthier than processed foods and ultra-processed foods, I think it's hard to have any kind of argument against that. So I haven't done the course yet. I really want to. I have a lot of other things in the works right now, and I I feel like I haven't had the time to devote to it, but I'm super excited to try it. I've heard only amazing things about both the pet parent course and the professional veterinarian course. I know two people who are taking it right now, and I just love that there's so many people out here who are so dedicated to our dogs and are just trying to put out the best products and the best knowledge and information for all of us to keep our dogs as healthy as possible for as long as possible. So if you haven't tried Real Dog Box yet, make sure you check that link in the show notes so you you can save $10 off your first order. So that'll do it for this episode of the Believe in Dog podcast. If you like this episode, remember that you can always leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It's pretty much the biggest compliment that you can give a podcaster. You can always find me at Believe in Dog Podcast on Facebook or at Erin the Dog Mom on Instagram. So until next time, this is Erin Scott sending you hugs and belly rubs. The Believe in Dog podcast is a production of Hugs and Belly Rubs, LLC.